Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss a portrait of your pet zeroing in on customer centricity and how many and even no have become big. Painting, disrupting, and adapting. Oh my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. This week's CX Press comes to us from one of my local newspapers, the Chicago Sun-Times, and it's entitled Cezanne or Chewy. Now, we've talked about Chewy, the online pet supplies retailer, in two previous episodes. Episode 17, where we shared some customer stories, and episode 50, where we talked about what I called the greatest customer service email in the history of customer service or email. Now they've achieved the trifecta. Has anybody else even come close to the trifecta, Dan? I don't think so. Like, I know we talk about Amazon and Apple. We've talked about lots of great brand experiences, but I don't think anybody but Chewy has done three separate segments totally on their business. I, I think it is possible this is a first. I'd have to go back and look in the archive. Ooh, I'm feeling excited. This is this is groundbreaking stuff here. Well, Chewy was in the news again just after New Year's with this story. And uh, I know you're a pretty big art fan, Joey, but can you even imagine how a famed artist like Paul Cezanne gets compared to a pet supplies company? I cannot. I cannot. Uh, you know, definitely familiar with Cezanne's work and a fan of Cezanne's work, but Cezanne plus Chewy, I'm confused. Well, it turns out that Chewy sends out more than a thousand hand-painted portraits of its customers' pets every week, just as a surprise to say thank you. Now, not surprisingly, the pictures have become social media gold, as many of the lucky recipients post them online for their friends and followers to fawn over. And one customer even told the Sun-Times, quote, I just want to buy everything from them. They're a big company. I was shocked that they did something so personal. Oh, I love it. I love this story. I love this behavior by Chewy. I love the personalization. But most importantly, I want to go back to that quote from the article. I just want to buy everything from them. They're a big company. I was shocked they did something so personal. There's two pieces of this puzzle, friends. If you create remarkable customer experiences, your customers will want to do business with you again and again and again and again. And the bigger you are, 
the less they expect something personal. Or if you're in an industry that is not notoriously known for personal interactions and you do something personal, it is going to shock and awe them. This is definitely, you know, while I get that not everybody who's listening is going to start sending, you know, hand-painted portraits of their customers' pets to them, there is a variation on this theme in every listener's business. Well, and I would go so far as to say that being big is not an excuse for not trying this. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. And and so, look, they don't send it to every customer, and that's okay. They're sending it to a lot of customers. But just because they're big doesn't mean that they can't make something like this happen and operationalize it and scale it. And now, they're a little bit secretive about how they select which pets they feature, you can't purchase the portraits. Even if you ask really nicely to customer service, they'll say no. The article says that Chewy works with hundreds of artists around the country who create them based on customer photographs. So obviously, there's some process in which customers have to send or upload a, a photograph of their pet. But this is also a great way, by the way, to you know give back for them to, for lack of a better way of putting it, for Chewy to support some local artists as well. I mean, hundreds of local artists, it sounds like. Absolutely, for sure. And one of the most interesting parts for me of this article was there was a, a big discussion about how well Chewy is doing as a company. And let me just give you some stats. The company's become the number two in the pet supplies industry with a 34% market share. Now, Amazon is first at 50%. And it's benefited from two different pandemic trends. The first is that people are staying home and not venturing out to big box retailers. And people are adopting new pets at a record pace. In fact, Chewy added 5 million new customers in 2020, and its stock price tripled. So anybody that asks you, does customer experience pay off? Is there an ROI to customer experience? Here's perhaps the only company that we featured on three different segments on a customer experience show and look at how well their business is doing. So this stuff works. Now, is it cheap? No. They're paying artists. They're shipping out these portraits. It's some money. There's no question they're investing in this. But look what happens. These customers get the portraits. They feel so great about Chewy. They want to go share it with their friends and followers on social media, which, of course, is basically doing Chewy's marketing for the company, right? So this is marketing dollars that is much better spent, in my opinion, than buying a Facebook ad or sending out yet another email campaign. Absolutely. And Dan, I guarantee that the folks at Chewy that are responsible for coordinating these paintings are having fun too. Like talk about a fantastically unexpected moment of surprise and delight for the customer. But I would imagine, you know, getting the art back from the artist and seeing the paintings and seeing the photographs of those and knowing when the customer receives them, how happy they're going to be. And then seeing the posts on social media, this kind of gets back into that whole thing we talked about in our last episode, this idea of your culture being part of the customer experience. They create better experiences for the customers, which by default create better experiences for the employees and and these things have a tendency to feed and uh, fulfill each other. And another thing I would add here is I know some listeners are saying, okay, that's great, but Chewy is a pet supplies company. So of course, they're going to do portraits of their pets. But 
I think almost every company has an opportunity to do something personalized for their customers. So let's say that you're a B2B software company, right? Couldn't be any farther away from a retail pet supplies company. But you know what's been happening over the last year? You've been on more Zoom calls with people. And you know what's been happening during those Zoom calls? People's pets come into the picture, their dogs, their cats, they're all over the place. So you actually know that your clients have pets. Now, you don't have to send them a portrait, but can you imagine what would happen if one of your clients received a bag of treats in the mail from you for their pet? The way that people think about their pets as family members, that is going to go a really long way with people. We also know a lot more about people's kids and spouses and everybody else that's been running over, running through the picture in the last year. And I think that's a good thing because it adds a level of familiarity between people that wasn't there before, even between colleagues at the same company that wasn't there before. And I think that we can leverage this as businesses because the more that we know about people, the better we can connect with them. I just had a call the other day with somebody where I was doing sort of them the favor, right? They called on me for some advice and help and I met with them for half an hour. And the next thing I knew, I got a package in the mail from Amazon and it was a t-shirt that had a pinball machine on it that said pinball wizard. Oh, nice. Right to Dan's heart, ladies and gentlemen. Right. He knew that that's something that I loved. We didn't even talk about pinball. Chicago Cubs, pinball wizard, pinball games, board games, and I don't know, imperfect produce. Those are like, I think, the <laughs> four high-listing uh, loves of Dan Gingas, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And, and, and what I thought was great was that we didn't even talk about it. You know, he saw that somewhere online. He learned that about me. It's in one of my bios or whatever. And man, I mean, how much better is that than just sending something random or not sending anything at all? Or, or sending something with your logo on it. I mean, at the end of the day, friends... This far into the pandemic, if you aren't creating personal connections with the people that you are literally seeing into their homes, again, whether that's your clients, your customers, your colleagues, your coworkers, you're missing a huge opportunity. And if you don't want to go so far as to order them a gift or a present, what about just asking them a question? Being on the Zoom call with them and saying, hey, that looks like a really interesting piece of art behind you. What is that? Or where did you get that? Or, hey, is that a photograph I see on your desk? Who's in the photograph? Or was that a streaker that just ran by? Oh, that was your three-year-old? Oh, well, do we need to end the call? You know, there's any number of ways that we can engage in a personal way to bring a little more humanity back to our discussions. You know, one of the things I've been spending a lot of time thinking about over the course of the last year and is going to be a subject of a future book is this idea that we talk about customer experience and we talk about employee experience. But at the end of the day, isn't it really all just human experience? And the more we lean into the human experience, I think the better interactions, the better reactions, the better situations, the better scenarios we'll be able to create, not only for the people we interact with, but for ourselves as well. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. Today's book report is The Zero-In Formula, The Definitive Guide to Building a Disruptive and Sustainable Business Through Customer-Centric Innovation 
by author Dennis Geelan. The book is brand new, just released in 2021, and starts with an important question. Can a business be disruption-proof? A pandemic reveals the answers. There are also lots of case studies, including from Coca-Cola, Goodwill, and Kodak. And it also contains a self-assessment tool that helps companies rate their effectiveness when it comes to customer-centric and innovative strategies, tools, and practices. Now, as always, we ask the author to summarize the book for us. So here's Dennis Geelan describing the zero-in formula in his own words. The zero-in formula was written specifically for business owners and leaders. Whether you're looking to start a new company or you've been in business for several years, I believe that all organizations, large or small, in all industries face two major challenges that eventually decide their long-term fate. And that's the problem of indifference. So why is that two challenges? Because the indifference can either be external, your customers, or internal, your team members. You end up with indifferent customers when there's no compelling reason to purchase your product or service rather than your competitors. Internally, many businesses end up with indifferent employees who are complacent because they're just not passionate about coming to work each day. The company has no compelling purpose or direction, or the culture is either too rigid or too stale. The Zero-In Formula is a guidebook to help leaders win the battle against indifference by laying out a framework for a customer-centric and innovative company. When your business is truly customer-centric, you are intentional about having proper strategies and tools in place to know your customers and building your company around serving them and giving them the ultimate customer experience. An innovative organization is one where new ideas for products and services and experiences and processes that better serve your customers don't happen by accident. Innovative companies understand the principles and practices required to cultivate a culture of collaborative teamwork focused on finding new and better ways of doing things. The book is full of tools, templates, and strategies that any leader can apply to their own business or team. And it's chocked full of examples and stories from businesses and leaders around the globe that's going to help the reader relate and resonate. My consulting practice is called Zero Win, and this book unveils the formula that I use when working with my business clients allowing you to harness these proven tactics in your company to become as customer-centric and innovative as possible and set your business up for long-term success. I think the call-out about indifference emerging from both external and internal forces is spot-on. We know that happy employees equal happy customers, but the word indifference is so powerful because that's when people decide to leave a company, when they don't care. You know, it's interesting. I remember in school being asked the question, like in, you know, junior high, what is the opposite of love? And a lot of kids in the class thought, myself included at first, that the opposite of love was hate, when the reality is the opposite of love is indifference. It's that you actually don't care at all. And I think that is so true. And so often people are, you know, worried about who the haters are, as our friend Jay Bear would say, when the reality is we need to pay more attention to things we're doing that are creating moments of indifference. You know, on every book report, we love having the author pick their favorite passage as well. And so enjoy while Dennis reads his favorite section from the book. The story of Greg Mead, Chris Mead, Mike Del Papa, and their company, CrossNet, 
is one of just over 627,000 new businesses starting up in the U.S. each year. New technologies, new ways of communicating, connecting, and selling means more products, more services, and more business models to meet newfound needs. It's easier now to start up a business than in any era in the past. The internet provides access to the tools and resources you need to understand how to start up a business at your fingertips. If capital is required, there's venture capitalists and angel investors looking to help finance the next big business idea. Stats for the U.S. show that there are over 30 million small businesses in the country alone, making up 99.9% of all U.S. businesses. Starting a company is easy, but just starting is not the goal. Studies show 20% of new businesses fail during the first two years, 45% fail in the first five years, and 65% in the first 10 years. Only 25% of businesses survive 15 years or more. Why? What mistakes are businesses making? If there's more demands, if it's easier to market and sell to people around the world, and if you have the information and resources required to start up a business, what's the problem? To put it simply, with more businesses, there's more competition. Will CrossNet be a long-term successful game, product, and company? They're sure off to a terrific start, but many opportunities and challenges lie ahead for the young entrepreneurs. How will they face those challenges? Time will be the ultimate judge. But as you will see in this chapter, CrossNet has a big leg up on other businesses by deciding to build theirs on a proper foundation. You know, I'd like to share my favorite passage from the book as well, and then give Joey a chance to do so. For me, it was a setup in the introduction that called out two reasons why so many companies fail. And here they are. One, they lose sight of the purpose behind why they started. After some success, the focus turns to maximizing quarterly revenues, finding efficiencies for standardizing their processes. They're no longer the customer-centric and innovative company that they were in the beginning. Two, they're not flexible and adaptable to handle major challenges that come their way. An economic downturn, a new player in the industry, a change in customer habits will disrupt their business model. They're too rigid or stubborn to adapt, and customers end up leaving. Oh, if there's anything that the last year has taught hopefully every business on the planet is the importance of adaptability. Friends, I can't imagine that your business today has the exact same service offerings and exact same product offerings delivered in the same way that it did a year ago. And it's so funny because pre-pandemic, I think this concept of adapting was something that was, you know, regularly thrown around. Well, either adapt or become extinct. And, you know, it was kind of a, a trope that was used in a lot of different business books and business discussions. But I think every business has had to do that and has realized that we probably weren't as flexible as we had believed that we were. My favorite quote is as follows. If after collecting data, surveying, and talking to your customers, you are still not able to understand the emotions they feel and subsequently empathize with them, I highly suggest you put yourself in their shoes. There's credence to the old saying, do not judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ultimately, 
If you are able to know exactly what your customers are feeling that caused them to want or need your products or services, how it makes them feel when your product or services provide the value they need, how it feels when your products or services do not provide the value they require, then you are now set up to do something about it and serve them the way you would want to be served. The best way to understand how your customers feel is to experience and feel the same things yourself. You know, I'm so glad you selected that passage, Joey, because I'm often asked, what's one tip that you can give to companies if they need to start thinking about customer experience or to really change how they're doing things? And my tip is always become a customer of your own company. It is unbelievable to me how many companies there are where the executives, the employees are not customers of their own company. So they have no idea what customers actually go through. Or if they are customers, Dan, they get the special VIP helpline. Right. They don't have to call into the main call center. They get to, you know, have a private, immediately picked up solution to all of their tech problems. Yeah. They've got the bat phone on their desk. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And so that's not understanding how customers experience you either. And I'll tell you another thing is if you sit through call listening in a, in a contact center, you'll be amazed when you hear the customer's own voice talk about doing business with you. It is eye-opening, it's humbling, and you'll learn what you're doing well and what you're not. And so I think this is so key to get into your customer's shoes and either become a customer or you know, in some businesses, it may be impossible for you to do that. You've got to saddle up next to an existing customer and have them walk you through what it's like, or you've got to listen in your call center and, and hear what people have to say. So I thought this was uh, a really great book to kick off 2021. This idea of avoiding indifference with your employees and your customers is so important. And the idea of understanding the experience from your customers' eyes, all terrific tips. We encourage you to pick up The Zero In Formula, The Definitive Guide to Building a Disruptive and Sustainable Business Through Customer-Centric Innovation by Dennis Geelan, wherever fine books are sold. Almost everyone has interacted with chatbots, but all too often, it's been a bad experience. In Mythbusters, presented by Solvi, we explore a common myth about CX chatbots and see how the right technology can create a positive experience every time. Today's myth about chatbots? They're designed to replace your support team. Many people think that adding a chatbot means you'll no longer need live agent support, that support teams will be downsized, and that personalization and the high quality of support will inevitably suffer. Now, while people worry all about the replacement of the support team, the reality is that modern chatbots effectively supplement your team. They don't replace it. You will always need agents for your VIP customers and for your extremely complex issues. That being said, we can all agree that it's no fun answering basic, repetitive questions all day long. Things like password resets or collecting basic information so that you can find a customer's account. 
Chatbots can be invaluable in helping your team to scale during surges in activity, holidays, system outages, and other situations. Modern chatbots are also able to collect some info about a customer's issue and pass that along to an agent to help speed up resolution time. I like that because while I'm okay with the chatbot answering a simple question, when I want to talk to a human, I want to talk to a human. We'll learn more about advances in chatbot and support automation throughout the season. That's another myth busted. Thanks to our friends at Salvi, the next gen chatbot. With a pandemic sweeping the globe and shifting the way organizations interact with their customers, many of the old ways of operating just don't work anymore. As we all navigate a COVID-19 world, it's time to redesign the experience. You may remember way back in episode 46 that we talked about Sip Smith Gin and its ingenious pop-up experience to get people to taste their product in a new way. Which I always thought was funny because we're going to be drinking gin and trying to say Sip Smith Gin, Sip Smith Gin. <laughs> exactly. Keep sipping away. There was the impeccably dressed bartender, the choice of several tonic flavors, the garnish bar with more than a dozen options, and then the personalized name tag that each taster created and, of course, shared their creation on social media. I love that example so much that I've included it in my keynote presentations and it'll be in my new book coming out this year, but more on that in a future episode. Anyway, live tastings aren't exactly popular right now due to the pandemic, so alcohol companies have had to adapt. And one fascinating trend is the return of the 50-milliliter minibop. Wait, you mean like the ones they have on airplanes or in the hotel minibar? Yes, my world-traveling friend, you are correct. And don't worry, I know that you don't drink alcohol, but there is something for you in this segment too, if you will just bear with me. All right, I'll hang in there. Many craft distillers have started producing more mini bottles due to tasting room closures and canceled events. As Scott Harris, co-founder of Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, told Whiskey Advocate magazine, quote, store tastings have stopped completely nationwide. And without tastings, there is no easy way to get customers to try our products before committing to a larger 750 milliliter purchase, unquote. Not surprisingly, Whiskey Advocate focused on whiskey examples of the trend, and they range from a $2 Bushmills Red Bush Irish Whiskey to a $20 Johnny Walker Blue Label. Even coveted single malts have gotten into the game, and one distiller, Compass Box, saw success packaging four different mini bottles into a set, essentially a tasting in a box. This is a trend that is likely to continue because it gives people the ability to try before they buy at a much lower cost, and importantly, just as Sipsmith figured out, in a way that they would more typically consume the drink versus a plastic cup shot in the grocery store. You know, I really like this idea, Dan, because not only does it give you a little bit of a sampler, but it's a much better experience for the brand, right? Those little bottles, they're kind of fun. And, you know, I know from our mutual friend, Rohit Bargava, there's actually a mini liquor bottle museum in Scandinavia. Like these are fun little design pieces. Uh, and I like the idea that they're, they're pivoting and they're adapting to this new world they're in and creating something that, 
you know, consumers will get a chance to try it, you know, before they buy it or make a smaller investment to try it. But I got to admit, I'm a little curious. I mean, while this is interesting, you had mentioned there was a specific part of the story that you said I'd be excited about. Well, actually, it's about a different pandemic trend related to alcohol, and that is that people are drinking more at home. And so there is a newfound demand for, are you ready for it? Non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> like Odul's and stuff like that? Actually, specifically, not like Odul's. It's the craft breweries that are now getting into the game, creating brown ales, wheat beers, IPAs, coffee stouts, and even Oktoberfest varieties, all without alcohol. Now, this follows the success of a very big brand, Heineken, debuting its Heineken 0.0 product in 2019, which quickly became the number one selling non-alcoholic beer in the United States, knocking out your friends at O'Doul's, by the way. Now, according to the Chicago Tribune, non-alcoholic beer sales were up 38% in 2020. And although it still only represents one half of 1% of the entire beer industry, NAs are sprouting up everywhere and industry observers think that this trend has legs. Well, Dan, I am definitely interested in this one. I have not been a uh, consumer of alcohol for, wow, probably close to, we're fast approaching 20 years now, more than 20 years now that I think about it. But what I love about this pivot or this kind of additional offering to the marketplace is there are so many scenarios where I find myself at a bar or at a happy hour, obviously pre-pandemic, and I'm sure this will come back post-pandemic, where there's really nothing that I'm excited to order. You know, uh, as our listeners know, I'm a root beer fan. If there's a root beer, I'm feeling good. If there isn't a root beer, my default is usually a 7-Up or Sprite and Grenadine, which is affectionately known in most circles as a Shirley Temple, but it sounds more manly when I order or, it as or a, a kitty seven cocktail. A it's kitty cocktail. Yeah. A kitty cocktail. So I like the idea of being able to have different options that, you know, maybe give more of a beer vibe or more importantly, kind of a beer look, because I know that's important for some people when they're out networking, they want to have a look as if they're drinking a beer along with it. So I think this is an interesting, uh, an interesting trend to say the least. Well, and also, I, I mean, you're not the only person I know who doesn't drink or who has stopped drinking alcohol. And there is often this residual desire for the, for the taste of it without the effect of the alcohol. And I think that what's long been the case is that not NA beers have been a somewhat poor substitute, that it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't have the bite or it doesn't have the flavor or whatever. And when I started reading this list of like brown ales and coffee stouts and stuff like that, I think that sounds terrific. And, and even as a person who is fine having a, a beer with alcohol in it, I, I would be more inclined in certain situations to order the non-alcoholic variety because now I've got something to choose from that actually, you know, is interesting. Well, and you buy into the marketing, right? And the branding. And I'm not saying that is a, is a bad thing, right? Why do most people uh, choose the products or the services they choose? There's a heavy influence of branding. And I agree with you. It sounds a lot better to get, you know, a wheat beer or a coffee stout than what I often heard talked about in the bars. I didn't say this, but, you know, an O'Don'ts as opposed to an O'Doul's, <laughs> right? And so I, I think there's uh, certainly space in the market for these type of offerings. 
Yeah. And I think, again, the, the summary here is I thought, I mean, within the span of a week or so, I saw two articles about these two different trends in, in two different publications. And, you know, the miniature bottle thing is really interesting because companies are having trouble getting people to taste. And when you buy a, a 750 milliliter bottle, you're usually forking out, you know, 30, 40, 50, 70, 90 dollars. And so people want to taste it before they buy it, which makes sense. And they don't have an avenue to do that. With the non-alcoholic beer piece, you have other parts of the pandemic that have affected this trend. People are drinking more at home and they're realizing, hey, I probably should cut back. And also, you know, people are looking for different things. And this gives a new choice, if you will, uh, to somebody who maybe wants a non-alcoholic option and doesn't have to succumb to the Shirley Temple or the orange juice or whatever it's going to be. So I thought both of these were really interesting trends that have appeared because of the pandemic, but trends that demonstrate that pandemic era pivots may just create the next big thing, and even if not, are probably here to stay. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listen to the whole show, yay you! We're curious, was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Yes.